morning, everybody. Welcome to New Vine Community Church. Uh, we're so glad that you're all here with us today, and a special thank you and welcome to those who are watching online today as well. All right, I'd like to invite everybody to stand. We'll have a word of prayer, and then we will get started with worship. Lord, we just want to thank you for bringing us all together here today safely. I want to thank you for everything you've done in our lives throughout the week, and everything we know you'll continue to do. We just ask you to come be in our midst today to worship you. In your name we pray. Amen.
Take a second and turn around and say hello to somebody. My name's Allie, and we're glad you're here. If you're new here, go ahead and pick up one of these forms from the seat back in front of you, fill it out, and drop it in the offering bag as it goes through. Thanks for watching the announcements. If you need any more information, go to our website or pick up a bulletin. Thanks for being here and enjoy the service. Good morning. How many of you guys are going to go skating? 
No one. Oh, oh, you are? I'd kill myself. Even when I was younger, I would skate and Liz would make fun of me. She said I looked like I had, my legs were trees because I was just kind of like that because I wouldn't. You know, you see those people doing their thing, so I don't know. Anyway, I've been in California all week. My uncle passed away, so I'm, I'm a full-blown Catholic now. So, yeah, prayed the rosary for an hour and then... Uh, did a Catholic church. The priest approved what I was going to say. I had to send him a thing in advance. So Father Carl loves me now. So uh, anyway, but I kept looking online. <clears throat> Most of the week it was warmer here than it was in California. And my cousin's a truck driver, and he hadn't worked all week because of snow. You know, he couldn't get different places. I thought the world is flipped out. Friday night, 6.30, Robin and Jan, Right? Jan and Robin, Jan and Dean, right? What are you going to sing? What are you going to sing Friday night? Big variety. Okay, so and I'm singing. Listen, I oh, the Everly Brothers will be here, so it'll be great. Um, uh, admission is bringing canned goods for the free store. The youth will be selling like. Hot dogs, barbecue, stuff like that. So if you want to eat dinner, you can do that too. It'll be fun. We'll have a good time. Okay? Just like you do in the Baptist church, have rock and roll, right? And, and dance. We're going to hell, you know. So anyway, let's say a prayer and we'll take up the offering. So Lord, we just thank you that we can give to you. Thank you that you gave it all for us. In Jesus' name, amen. California's a nice place. You live there. Do you live there sometime? Huh? Well, yep. Yeah. California's a beautiful place. I would, I would love to live there if, if it weren't for traffic, uh, mudslides, wildfires, earthquakes, and the cost. Other than that, it's wonderful, right? Uh, but anyway, we had, a, you know, my uncle, my uncle was 92 years old. And so my, my, so we, we went, I participated in the funeral, but just because they, they're out there by themselves. And my cousins had never had anyone in their family die. 
So can you imagine, you know, your dad's 92 and that's the first death you experience. And so, so it was, it was interesting. So we had, we had, uh, had a good time visiting with them and hearing stories and stuff. So anyway, uh, we are in week two of our Lent, Lenten series, <clears throat> Footsteps of Jesus. Uh, last week, Mark talked about Jesus' baptism and, uh, his, his identity. <clears throat> and, um, today we're gonna, gonna talk a little bit further, uh, I call this a bigger gospel, and uh, so let's say a word of prayer, and then I'm going to let the screen read the scripture to you. So, Lord, we just thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, uh, that you gave your son for us, who came not only just to show us how to live, but show us how to die, and to give us real life. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, Heal yourself, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. He walked right through the crowd and went on his way. All right. Wow. I'm going to try to do better than that. So, you know, there's no cliffs out here or anything. But uh, 
When I was uh, <clears throat> 18 years old, I uh, <clears throat> felt like God was calling me to be a preacher. My dad had passed away the year before, and uh, I'd already made a you know commitment to be a Christian all the time. And I didn't know how you even dealt with that stuff. So there was an old preacher in our church. He was like an interim pastor after my dad died. We, his name was Brother Castleberry. He was like, he reminded me of the Apostle John. And like when he writes First John, because he would talk about little children and all that. And he was <clears throat> just a sweet old guy. <clears throat> so I went to him and I said, Brother Castleberry, how do you, how do you know? You know, if God's calling you to, to do this stuff. And he goes, well, you just place yourself in his hands and he'll let you know. So I remember sitting in the service, you know, in a Baptist church, you give an invitation. So you have to go forward and make a declaration of what you're going to do. And and I was on the back seat as we're all preacher kids set, right? And uh, my kids sit as far back as they can against the wall. But um, <clears throat> I was sick the whole service because I knew I had to go forward and say, I'm going to, I think God wants me to, to be a preacher. And so I finally uh, got to the end of the service. And uh, uh, in a Baptist church, they always have an invitation. You know, right? You ever been there? So you got to get saved and, and stuff. And so that day he didn't do one. And I thought, I'll I thought, I've been sick for nothing. You know, this whole service, you know, trying to decide. And finally, he looked at me and he said, honey. He always called, he, he was like, just, he, he goes, why don't you come up front and lead us in the song, Thank You, Lord, for Saving My Soul. And so anyway, I don't know if you know that song. Thank you, Lord. So anyway, I got to come up front. And, and before I, I did that, I said, I thank God. I believe that God's called me to be a pastor, a preacher. And uh, so anyway, that was a crazy day. And I, you already know these stories. But, but my first sermon I preached at a nursing home in Middletown, you know, because I wanted to get down there and get all those old people saved before they died because they were really close, <clears throat> right, to the end. So I did my first sermon, and I think I told you before, there was this lady in the back who kept going, she kept doing this. And, and I'm, I'm, I get distracted easy, and I'm trying to tell these people how to be saved, and this woman's doing something, and I don't know. I thought, I'm going crazy. And finally, at the end, I asked the nurse, what is she doing? And he, he said, she's making biscuits. <laughs> she, she, she says she makes biscuits all the time. I thought, great, you know. So she made a she made a dozen during my sermon, and uh, <clears throat> so that's my first experience of, of preaching. And then I got to to do the Sunday morning thing, and so I got to preach in, in big church on a Sunday morning. And my first sermon was John three sixteen because I had to get all the Baptists saved, right? <clears throat> you know, and you know, for God's love of the world, and 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 all those, and 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 uh, when I got done, I went to the back and stood there and. Uh, people loved me because you, you know, my first sermon was like 10 minutes and, and my, my dad would preach an hour and, uh, people were patting me on the back and they were shaking my hand and they were saying it's the best sermon they ever heard. And, you know, I'm, you know, and in my mind, I'm thinking, Billy Graham, look out. And I'm so crazy. This is true. When I was a freshman in college, I wrote Billy Graham a letter and asked him if I could be on his team, that he needed me. And, and, uh, he wrote me, he actually wrote me back and told me, Finish college and all those things and write me back later. That was my first experience of my first sermon. In this story, we have Jesus' first sermon. Okay? And so we have the situation. And here's the situation. Okay? Uh, he comes back uh, from his temptation, the power of the Spirit. And uh, he's proclaiming the good news all over Galilee. And he goes to his synagogue, as his, was his custom, it says. His custom was, on the Sabbath, 
he went to the synagogue. I grew up as a preacher's kid. My custom is this. On Sunday, I go to church. I don't care where we're at, what world we're in, I go to church. Okay? Even in, and, and I do my devotion every day. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. One time in Ethiopia, I did two devotions in one day because I didn't know what day it was. Okay? Uh, because the time change was so, so different. And so my custom is like, even if we're on vacation, during COVID, I, I, I went to the Catholic church. That was the only one that had an outdoor service and, and, uh, I did that. Jesus' custom was he went to the synagogue. And in the synagogue, even in those days, this is how the service went down. Okay, usually there it started with the Thanksgiving. Then they would do a prayer. They would do the Shema. Uh, then they would read seven public readings. They had like a lectionary thing that they followed. And uh, they would read from the Pentateuch, from Genesis to Deuteronomy. There'd be seven short readings. And then they would read from the prophets. And they usually would invite someone, a young rabbi or, or someone to come up and, and read from the prophets. And that's exactly what they did uh, for Jesus. And, uh, and so then there would usually be a sermon and then there would be a benediction. And this is the benediction in the synagogue. And you probably know it if you ever went to church. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. How many have heard that before as a benediction, right? And, and so that was a, a normal, normal service. And so that was the situation Jesus was in. He's, he's in his hometown. People have heard the news about him. Uh, they wanted to come hear him. Uh, you know, the hometown boy's got, he's big time now. And so he's come home and, and, uh, he's in the synagogue and he's invited to read. And so then he does his exposition. Okay. And that's what preachers do. They, they expound, right? And so they roll out the scroll and, uh, and they even had, um, th- you know, if, if you go like to a, maybe a Catholic church or, or a more Orthodox church or whatever like that, there's a lectionary they follow. There's certain scriptures you read on certain days and certain Sundays and all those kinds of things. And that happened in Judaism too. And so, so it was the Isaiah scroll. And so people don't know whether, whether that was supposed to be the reading for that Sabbath or, or Jesus just p- picked it, but they handed him the Isaiah scroll. And they just didn't carry around little Bibles like this. They had big, big scrolls that were rolled up and that were kept. And so, so they hand him the Isaiah scroll and he reads Isaiah 61. And it's, it's the, the, about the Messiah. Uh, And, uh, and he says these different things. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Okay. And, and Isaiah is, is prophesying about the Messiah, uh, who's, who's going to come. And so I'll bring up that part, Pat. I think it says that the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Okay. And, and, uh, and, and Jesus kind of says those things. And then he says this, uh, he's anointed me. And, and, and people understood that anointing was a special thing. Um, I think I have a picture in the Old Testament. Uh, they would anoint priests like David was anointed. They would take a, a, a horn full of oil and they would pour it over the person. It would run all down. And it was a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And it was a symbol that God was on you and that God was in you. And so Jesus reads that and he says that to them too. And then he says to preach the gospel to the poor. And the Messiah was supposed to bring good news to the poor. And not just the physically poor, poor in spirit, but those who were, were poor spiritually, um, like as Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit, right? And, and so he tells, reads that part too. And then it says to heal the brokenhearted. And uh, um, the Messiah would come because life is hard. People go through stuff. Like my, my, my aunt is broken hearted. You know, uh, she was 10 years younger than my, my uncle. Uh, he was her college professor. She fell in love with him 
you know, and then after a few years, they got married and she's just brokenhearted and, you know, uh, because a part of her life is, is gone now. And, and so Jesus says, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. And as I think about that, I think of other scripture in the Old Testament. It says, it says the Lord is, is near those who are, who are, are crushed in spirit and, and, and all those kinds of things that, that God's there when you go through those things. So that's what the Messiah is going to do. And then to proclaim liberty to the captives and, and, People are in, are in captivity. You know, the scripture says that, that whatever controls you, you know, you're, you're a prisoner to. And, and so the Messiah was going to come. He was going to set people free, people who are literally captives and those who are captives to their own devices. And, and he was going to do that. And then it says this, he was going to recover uh, sight to the blind. The Messiah was going to come and, and help people to see. He was literally going to heal people, and that's what Jesus did. And he was going to help them see spiritually too. And, and so Jesus reads that to him. And... By the way, if I say our Father who art in heaven, what's the next part? Okay, if I say the Lord is my shepherd, okay, you know it by heart, okay? Jewish people knew the Bible by heart. They had to memorize things. And so when Jesus would say these, they could, they could lip sing right along with him. So as he's saying these things, they know all these things too, which you'll see why that's significant later on. And, and so recovery to sight to the blind, the next part he says to uh, set at liberty those who are oppressed, okay, those people who are pushed down. Some people translate that word this way. It means those who are exploited, take advantage of, mistreated. The Messiah is going to come and deliver all those people that are going through those kinds of things. And so an interesting, interesting thing. And so, um, and then he says this, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord or the, the year of the Lord's, the Lord's favor. Okay, and and there's a word for that in the Old Testament. It's called jubilee. Jubilee was a thing that was set up in the law that uh, if you went in debt or if you were a slave or if you lost your house or all these kinds of things, and the 49th year you you would get ready, and on the 50th year of jubilee it would all go back to to the original owner. All your credit cards would be paid off. You got that, and and so so. The people were expecting there was going to be a big jubilee when the Messiah came because he's going to set everybody free and he's going to make everything, uh, everything right. And so that, that was a big deal. Uh, and, and it was probably a big deal to those who were hearing it because, uh, the people, uh, have been thinking and, and, uh, and probably been taught that the Lord's favor was for the Israelites and that judgment was going to come on the Gentiles. Okay. And, and, uh, that's just an, an, an interesting thing. And, and, um, let's see my notes, what I put here. Um, yeah, the people had, had thought, okay, they've been in slavery for years. They were in captivity in, in the, to the Babylonians. They finally came back. They're literally <clears throat> under occupation in Rome and they're thinking that, that Jesus is going to set them free. And so they're thinking the Messiah is going to, to do all this stuff for us and, and he's going to judge uh, all those who are, who are Gentiles, and and uh, that that's an interesting thing. One one part I didn't mention when when Jesus reads Isaiah sixty one, they know it by heart, okay, and and it goes the year of the Lord's favor, and then the next part is and the vengeance of our God. He didn't say that. He left that part out. He didn't go on. It didn't mention it, but people are probably thinking, wait, wait a minute, you forgot the the important part. You forgot the important part that God's going to save us. And he's going to kill all those heathens. But Jesus doesn't do that. He, he doesn't say that kind of part. 
And, and so, uh, then he sits down to preach. And so just like we do, or I do, or sometimes we do, that was the, the, the custom in, in the Jewish world. They would stand up when they would read the scripture and then they would sit down. The rabbi would sit down to teach. And so Jesus sits down to teach and, and this is his sermon. Okay. Today, this verse is coming true in your hearing. Amen. Let's go home. Shortest sermon, shorter than my first. Okay. Uh, his short sermon. And, uh, that's, that's, that's interesting to me. Um, then something happens. It takes a, a downward turn. Somebody makes a comment. Isn't this Joseph's son? You know, how can this dude be the Messiah? And, and, uh, it, it was really upsetting, uh, to the different people. Um, they, they, I think they began to resent that somebody so familiar like Joseph's son could speech, speak with such grace and claim to be the fulfillment of these remarkable prophecies, okay? And so, so this question, uh, arises. Um, so then there's application, okay? Bring, bring up the next slide, Pat. I'm not sure even where I'm at. Application, Go, keep going. Okay. Jesus says this to him, okay? Surely you will quote this proverb. I mean, he did a good sermon and everybody loved him, but he pushes it a little bit. Because of the question that's raised, and, and Mark will bring in some other things too, not that Mark, but, um, do I have Mark 16? Mark 6 somewhere? I'm sorry, go back. I'm, I skipped it. Okay, if you go to the Gospel of Mark, uh, um, this is what Mark, Mark's rendition of this. Uh, what are these, what are these remarkable miracles is, he is performing? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't Mary, uh, isn't this Mary's son and the brothers of James and jo- Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't these his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him? You know, um, Mark's version is like, how can Jesus be the Messiah? You know, he, he grew up here. You know, he played with our children, to quote Keith Green's song, right? Uh, um, how can this be the Messiah? And And they began, like as I said a while ago, to resent it. You know, that how can this be Joseph? You know, how can he be the Messiah? He's Joseph's son. So Jesus doesn't leave it there. He goes on to the application. He's going to apply the scripture to him. And, and then he, he says this to him. Um, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there are many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, Elijah's time, and when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to the widow of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in the land of Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, uh, the Syrian. This was the deal. Jesus knew they wanted to show. Okay? He knew that they wanted more if he was going to do that for them. Uh, uh, they came, I think, for the miracle, not for the responsibility of what God's called them to do. It's like they, it's like they missed the point. Um, he, he tells them two stories. The first story he uses, the, the story of the prophet Elijah. There was a, a, a severe uh, famine, and Elijah goes and... And he goes to this town, and uh, there's a, a, a widow there, and she's got a son, and he and he's hungry. And the widow says, "You know, all, all I got is this thing of oil and a little bit of dough, and and I'm gonna and I'm gathering some sticks. And I'm gonna go home. This is horrible, <laughs> the way she's thinking. I'm gonna go home. I'm gonna I'm gonna cook the last meal for me and my son. Then we're gonna die. 
bummer, right? And Elijah says, nah, why don't you go fix me something? And she goes, this is all I've got. And, and the story goes, she, she, she does the oil and it never runs out. He says, he told her, he says, the oil's not going to run out and you, you'll have food until the famine, until it rains. Okay. And, and so, but then something happens in the story. Her son dies and then she gets mad at Elijah and Elijah goes upstairs and, 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 and raises his son up, raises him from the dead. And then she goes, now, I don't know. Now I know that there's a God in Israel and that your word is true. Okay. It's like sometimes you got to really prove it. So that's the first story. The second story he uses, he says that there's a prophet Elisha. So if you have trouble with those two, just remember J comes before S. Got that? In the alphabet, Elijah and Elisha. Side note there, right? Uh, there's this guy, his name's Naaman. He, he's a, a, like a general in the army and he's got leprosy and he sends his servant to, to visit Elisha. You know, and he wants all these different things. And Elisha sends him word back, go down to the Jordan River and dunk seven times. And that just, that's just beneath him. Uh, but finally he does that and, and he's healed. Okay. But it's important, I think, to notice this in, in the story. Uh, how Jesus prefaces each, each story. Okay. The first one is this. He prefaces this way. He, he notes that there were many widows in the land of Elijah's day, uh, but Elijah was sent to none of them except the widow in Zarephath. Okay. And the second one, he says there were lots of people with, with leprosy in Israel, uh, but, but he only healed the one guy. And, and uh, that doesn't sound like it's too bad to us, okay? But those two people were heathens. They weren't the people of God. Uh, the Syrians were the enemies, okay? And, and so that really up, upset the people. And, and uh, in both cases, it... Jesus showed how God blessed outsiders, enemies of Israel, right? Uh, Sidon and Syria were mentioned numerous times in Scripture, and they were usually the oppressors. And so that doesn't make any sense to them, okay? They were Gentiles, and uh, they were considered uh, cursed by God. I know I got a bunch of things, Pat. I'm sorry about all that stuff. Uh, I gave you too many. And and they were just shocked, okay, because the deal is this. They thought God would reveal himself uh they wouldn't think God would reveal himself to an outsider or that God would do something for an outsider, that God would do something for his people, for the, for the insiders, okay? And, and so they didn't like his sermon. And you saw in, in, the, in the, the scripture there, and that, that's the Jesus, I think it was the Jesus film, and it's the Gospel of Luke all the way through. They took him to the edge of a 500-foot cliff, and they're going to throw him off. And what they usually do there, they would throw the person off first, then they would go down and just pelt him with, with rocks. At the end of that. And it's interesting that the scripture doesn't say if it's miraculous or not, but it, but it appears to be miraculous. They're ready to throw him off, and Jesus just kind of turns around and walks right through them, and they don't touch him. And, uh, because it wasn't his time yet, right? And, and so, so that's just, that's the deal. Um, what we see in the story is us and them. We see, we see a division. We see insiders, and, and we see outsiders. Because at first you kind of think, what, what's going on here? But Jesus just insulted them that God would care about people who weren't Israelites. And that was a shock to them. And, and they were, they were upset with that. Uh, they were the chosen ones. And, and Jesus pushes the envelope and he tells them no. And he tells them it's not just for you guys, it's for everyone. And that they have the responsibility to include everyone. If you remember the Old Testament, remember what God said to Abraham. 
he's told Abraham that he was going to bless him so he could only bless the Israelites, right? No. You know anybody know the Bible? <clears throat> that he would be a blessing to all nations. The Israelites didn't even exist when Abraham was around. That he would be a blessing. And Israel was supposed to be a blessing to, to everyone else. But what happened was, and what happens a lot of times in religion, is that it turns inward and we think it's only about us. And we still have the problem today. Okay? We still have it. Uh, we, ha- we have it with those in and those out. We have it with uh, that some are welcome and some aren't welcome. And it happens in, in modern Christianity, especially here in the United States. Um, my first sermon was John 3.16. My second sermon was James 1.22. And even as, as an 18-year-old, I thought we were supposed to do this stuff. And it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, or you're deceiving yourselves. In my own mind, you know, uh, we're supposed to, to do this stuff. That's, that's just, just a part of it um, that we're supposed to care about people. There's not an in, in and out. It, it, Jesus loves everyone. As a teenager, I, I continued preaching, and I became a youth evangelist at 18. And I traveled all over the United States preaching and singing. Imagine that, right? Uh, when Liz and I got married earlier, we were considering getting a, a, a camper and just traveling, okay? Uh, go see the Jesus film, okay? That's what messed me up. Jesus messed me up as a teenager. Um, there was a town, Newcomer's Town. I was, I was called to go there to preach to these teenagers, youth revival, and so uh, I thought. So we went out and we started inviting people to come. We took little brochures and we went to a basketball game. As people coming out of the basketball game, we hand them things. Says, invite te- we're inviting teenagers to come to church. This one couple comes out and the guy looks at me and he hollers at me and he says, you hippies. Guy had long hair. He says, you hippies, you know, these clean cut kids have come here to get basketball and you're taking advantage of them or whatever and, and, and yelled at us all and, and ran us out of the place. Sunday morning I'm preaching in that church and then I go to the back to say, shake hands. And all of a sudden this couple comes. I recognize the couple. Guess who it was? It was the, the man and his wife who yelled at me, uh, at, you know, at the, the place. We continued to go out. We invited all these kids to come in. And so we brought in kids all over the place, uh, kids of color, you know, and different things like that. And the preacher got mad at me and called me into his office and told me that this is not what it's all about. You know, that he brought me there just for his kids and he didn't want all those outside kids to come in. In my mind, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I, I think it's supposed to be for everybody. There's not us, us and them. There's not in and out. The good news is good news. If you know the story of, of John Wimber, uh, early days in, in, before it even became the vineyard, he was a Quaker in the Quaker church, and he started bringing all these street people into the church. And this elderly lady looked at him one day and said, John, you've ruined our church. And John's repli- reply was, I thought if I caught him, you would help me clean him. And, uh, and eventually I think he, he got kind of kicked out of that church. Uh, but, but we're still hung up on that. We're still hung up on the, the in and out. We're still hung up on us and them. And we think it's about us. And if you go back two months to the book we read, it ain't about us. It's not about me. It's about God. And it's about other people. Jesus came and he upset the whole thing. He, he, he flipped things up and, and, uh, uh, the deal is, is this, um, the ministry of Jesus is our ministry. 
our ministry is the Isaiah 61 ministry as, as followers of Jesus, okay? And so I'm trying to answer the question, you know, what, is, what does this mean to us? That, that's what it means to us, okay? We have the same ministry. We're supposed to do the same thing. Uh, if you just, uh, there's no us and them, there's no insiders, there's no outsiders, you know, we're supposed to reach out to everybody. Um, everybody should be welcome. And so what is the ministry of, of, of Isaiah 61? First of all, it's the anointed thing, okay? Uh, all of us have the Holy Spirit, okay? When they poured the oil on the people's head, that was a sign of the Holy Spirit coming on them. We have the Holy Spirit because we're, we follow Jesus, right? And so we're supposed to, we're commanded to go make disciples. And so we have the, the same thing. He's, he's anointed us. He's anointed us to, to preach the good news. That's what the word gospel means. Evangelion is the, is the Greek word. It means good news. And uh, it's still good news. And this is the deal. God loves everyone. He loves the whole world. And so if God loves everyone, we're supposed to love everyone too. If you remember in the one anothering series there, every person we meet is an image bearer. Every person we meet, we should see Jesus in that person. And so the good news is that God still loves the whole world. Okay? Healing. People are still hurting. People still need healing, okay? Uh, and we need to pray for them. There's all kinds of things that are going on in people's lives. And just a simple prayer can bring healing in a person's life. Freedom from bondage. Are people still in bondage? People are addicted to everything, right? Uh, and so we need to help them get free. That should be a, a part of our ministry. Recovery of sight. People are blind today. They don't, they don't even know it, okay? Uh, it was a religious people in Jesus' day that was blind. And uh, people are still blind. And and most of the time, what's sad is it's the religious people that are blind. Okay? I've never ever had trouble with people who weren't Christians. They've never got mad at me over trying to serve them or tell them the good news. Okay? It's always been church people. I remember once a guy in town years and years ago. He's not a Christian. And... uh but he made a statement to me about our church. It was a good thing. He says, he goes, why doesn't ever, why don't everybody do what you guys do? Isn't that what Christianity is supposed to be? You're supposed to love people and help the poor and do this stuff. It's, sometimes it's, it's like non-Christians know what Christians are supposed to do and Christians don't know what they're supposed to do. And so many, many times it's, it's the church that's blind that we've missed it. Okay. Um, liberty, people are still oppressed. People have been exploited. Imagine that, right? Uh, we need to love them sincerely. And we need to offer acceptance to them. And then the Lord's favor, it's still the Lord's favor. Okay? God still loves people. He's still welcoming people in the kingdom today. And we're supposed to help them. And I put this in my notes. God's love is bigger than we can imagine. You've seen doctors without borders, right? That they go to these places. This is the deal for me. Jesus is the Messiah without borders. No one is beyond his love and care and acceptance, okay? And uh, we're supposed to love them, and we're supposed to help them. Um, no one's outside his capacity to heal and save Jesus. Just, you know, you, you just think. Um, of the people, you know, might be tempted to consider hopeless. There's, there's a lot of times people we think are hopeless. They're not hopeless. We're supposed to love them. And, and this is the deal. Uh, Jesus' saving power is enough for everybody. He still loves people. Jesus upset his church, literally, by telling them that it's not about them, that God includes everyone. He still does. 
there was a hymn we used to sing in church. I'm trying to think of the, one of the courses says, um, he included me. When the Lord said, whosoever, he included me. And he still does. He still includes us. And so we're supposed to include people too. Okay? Two questions. I'm not going to say I'm done. Mark does that. That's his line. Uh, two questions. What's God saying to me? Okay? You know, and, and what am I going to do about it? So let's just bow our heads just for a second. take it out and uh, open it up. You see inclusion at the Last Supper. You see these guys that I don't know who would pick them. Back to my Jesus freak days, there was a song that they used to sing about the 12 disciples. It was called the Dirty Dozen. That was their name, right? Matthew was a tax collector. Pete was a boat. Peter was a boat inspector. James and John were fishermen of the sea. E e e e e e. That's how it went, right? Everybody got included. Jesus included everyone. At the Last Supper, there was a tax collector that was hated by people. There was a zealot who was like a crazy militant who wanted to overthrow Rome. There were these fishermen who, you know, they were fishermen. And then there were a bunch of other guys. There was one guy who, you know, one of the fishermen would deny Jesus. And there was a guy who was going to betray Jesus. But he included them all. And that's the deal. We've been included. We're not outsiders. And there are no outsiders that everyone's welcome to come in. So on the, the Last Supper, that's what Jesus did. And we always do this, too, just to remember that we've been invited in, that we're a part of the family, too. So let's say this prayer together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this remembrance of me. And after supper, it says he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this remembrance of me. Paul said in Corinthians, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. We remember what Jesus did. We're reminded of what we're supposed to do.
Amen. Let's all stand. Friday night, 6.30, Jan and Dean. Robin and Jan, Jan and Robin. It's, it's going to be fun. Uh, you'll, Jan has a new instrument she plays, right? Is it electric? No. Can I tell them what it is? No, don't tell them. You could wash your clothes with it. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty talented there. So it'll be fun. Okay. Uh, so Friday night, do that. And uh, all the other stuff's coming up. So let's just close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, that you included us. We were outsiders. We're Gentiles, Lord. Most of us are. I don't know any Jewish people in our church. We're Gentiles. And you invited us in. And so God, help us to invite everyone in. Because you love the whole world. Help us to do it too. In Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Bless you.